Happy 420. 420! Welcome to Stone Cold Murder. We are your hosts, Kai and B. Thanks for tuning in for Season 1, Episode 8. Just a PSA, if you are listening and have any information that you would like to share to help solve a crime, please go to www.crimestoppers.com. I wanted to make a correction from the last episode. You guys asked me about the case that stuck with me, and I said Elizabeth Ridgway case, and her name was Jessica, not Elizabeth. So I just wanted to clear that up for you guys. And also, I did say that there was like a serial killer in Texas or Illinois, and that is actually in Boston. Ah, okay. So I fudged up both of those things. I remember that, and we were talking about both Boston the whole time. I was like, wow, Texas and Illinois. Yeah, you're like, wow, this is crazy. I don't know what was, I was just high, I think, obviously. So, yeah, I wanted to clear all of this up (laughs) before we get started. This episode is just B and I. We are doing a lonesome episode. We wanted to see how it goes and. Just the B and Kai. Yeah, just fam. And Matt. Matt and the booth. And the booth. (laughs) We are both stoned, ready for this case, yeah? Today, we are going to get into the case of the St. Louis Jane Doe. Have you ever heard of this case? No. Me I hadn't either. Oh, okay. All right, let's... Have you ever heard of it? No? Okay. Well, first of all, I wanted to shout out a great documentary that I watched on the case. Had I not found this documentary, a lot of this information would have been incorrect. Oh, So it was amazing that I actually found this because I started writing this episode with a lot of the newspapers and things that I was seeing and other podcasts that I had heard on it. The documentary is called Our Precious Hope, St. Louis Jane Doe Revisited. It's by Brian Aspala. I hope I said that right. But this man really just like went the extra mile on this documentary. He went everywhere. He went. when a king or queen is like there's not enough information on this it's my job to get that out yeah and he like really just felt like the story was really sad there was not a lot of information to be had about it so he just like okay i'm gonna do it myself and him and i think his daughter did a lot of the documentary they talked to neighbors they talked to all of the police detectives on the case that worked the case where'd you watch the documentary on youtube nice yeah they have it on youtube for free so nice i highly recommend it it's just it's like Let's get enough of us watching it so yeah. that there's some traction. Yeah, because it was on another podcast he was doing an interview, and I can't remember the podcast name, but he was saying that they were supposed to do a partnership with HBO, and it doesn't look like that ever happened. So it looks like it went straight to YouTube. Yeah. So well, at least he can give around. Some, yeah. Well, yeah, it's like it's a cold case, obviously. Yeah. It's about a child, and I think he just... Yeah, he felt it needed to be done, you know? But there was so much uh, misinformation spread on this case out there, and he just, like, really does set the record straight and get the correct information out on this case. So I highly recommend that documentary. It's on YouTube. It's called Our Precious Hope, St. Louis Jane Doe Revisited. He does an outstanding job on the research on this case. It's on YouTube. You guys should go check it out after this. I do want to throw a warning out there. It does show crime scene photos. So if you're not ready for that, just maybe not watch the YouTube video while you're watching it. Maybe just listen to it or just maybe be prepared. All right. 
on that note, let's get into the case. So this case starts out on February 28th, 1983. Family was having a barbecue on the 500th block of Clemens in St. Louis, Missouri. Two teenage boys who lived at the home decided to go for a walk. About one minute walk from their house was this big abandoned apartment complex. And teenage boys being teenage boys, they decided they wanted to go explore and Doing so, they went straight into the basement because I guess that was the only part of the building that was open. Okay. As they entered the basement, one of the boys flicked his lighter on to help him see better. And with the lighter flame illuminating the space in front of him, he saw what could only be described as a scene from a horror movie. There in front of him was the lifeless and brutalized body of a young girl. Both of the boys run as fast as they can back to the barbecue to get help. But not believing the boys, a whole group went back to the apartment complex to see like what they were talking about. When they reached the body, one of the family members started to like dust off the body a little bit because it was covered in leaves and dirt. And she was, uh, when she was doing that, she realized that the body was missing the head. Terrible. After discovering this, they did call the police. And when authorities arrived, the girl was found lying on her stomach in the furnace room of the basement. The room was cold and damp and had like water trickling down the walls in some area. So it was kind of moist down there. She was partially nude, wearing only a yellow sweater with the tag cut out. And her hands were bound behind her back with a red and white rope. She had red nail polish on her nails as well. They found blood on the board that the girl's body was laying on top of and drag marks on the wall in the building. But other than those spots, they didn't find any other blood at the scene. So because of not finding any blood there, they do believe that she was killed somewhere else and then dumped in their basement. It's like not the original site of the crime scene, which always makes it hard to like kind of determine like what happened and stuff. Mm -hmm. For sure. We saw that with like uh, Elizabeth Short's case, you know. Yes. Dr. Joy Carter, she's a pathologist and a chief medical examiner who had not previously heard of this case before she went over the autopsy report in the documentary that I mentioned before. So I will put a trigger warning out there. This is a pretty brutal examination and I just wanna let you guys know that we're about to get into this. Upon examination of the body, the coroner's office made a determination that the unidentified girl was the age of 8 to 11 years old. She was 61 pounds and 4 feet 10 inches to the sever point. So she was probably taller, but couldn't be sure how tall. There was evidence of strangulation found. Aspirated blood was found in the respiratory system meaning she had some type of head trauma or face before death. This um, type of blood would not usually happen, like just due to strangulation alone. And there was also blood found in the gastric lumen of the stomach. And the gastric lumen is the acidity like liquid that's inside of your stomach wall. So there was like blood all the way down there also. Mm. So it just like indicates a very, very, very brutal attack before death. Wow. The sweater that was found on her body was covered in blood, but the material was found to be in good condition, like it was like newer or well taken care of. So not like an old raggedy sweater. Her hands were tied behind her back and around her neck, the part of her neck that was still intact. 
Dr. Joy said that being restrained with your hands behind your back does cut off a portion of airflow and breathing. So, really? Yes. So she's made the comment that even when you get like handcuffed, that like restricts this area of the body and doesn't completely stop the breathing, but it does restrict it. Yeah. That's crazy. Isn't it? Who knew? It was also discovered that she had been horrifically and savagely sexually assaulted. In their report, they describe a tear that's an inch and a half long from the victim's vagina to her anus. Yes. Which is a transmural tear. And that means it's almost rupturing the vaginal wall. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. That poor thing. It's horrific. That is. The word transmural means existing or occurring across the entire wall of an organ or blood vessel. It's like beyond horrific. That is, wow. Beyond. Poor baby. It's awful. So they know this happened during life because there is trauma and hemorrhaging in the area. So. It is amazing to me that they can be able to tell whether somebody was dead or alive during trauma. Uh which also is heartbreaking. We're gonna take a smoke break. And we're back from our smoke break. So when I left off, we were saying that this happened during life because there is trauma and hemorrhaging in the area. It's so awful. It's horrific. And this is kind of like, I was just stuck in this case for like ever writing this just because I was just horrified. Just absolutely horrified. Because not only are you and I naturally empathetic, but on top of that, I think females, like thinking about another young female and knowing what we were like Mm. in ages 8 to 11. Oh my God. And knowing that some poor sweet baby went through this. Like, (sighs) even in all the not so great things that may happen in anyone's childhood, we were so safe compared to. Yeah. We never had to go through something like this. No. So my heart breaks for her. You know, yeah. like she probably in those moments all she wanted was her mom. Yeah, and her she dad. deserved to be safe. Just hold her. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And loved and treated correctly. You know. And you just can't help but think about what their thoughts were in those. Yeah. Last few moments. Yeah. It's sad. It's horrible. Poor baby. The report states the liver mortis was not present on the skin and had passed. Dr. Joy mentions that they state this because, unfortunately, they didn't have any trained black forensic pathologists at the time. And most of the people were not able to look for liver mortis in black victim skin. Are you serious? Yes. Very serious. Wow. So, just wanted to point that out. That's... And liver mortis is the discoloration that comes from the blood pulling in the body. So is that a little different than rigor mortis came? Yes. So it's just like discoloration. So kind of maybe, I would say similar to like a bruising type look, but it's where all the blood had pulled from Okay. I just pulled up some, I was just curious about this. I've not heard of liver mortis before, which develops less than an hour from the time of death. Yeah. Rigor mortis, which I think is more like the stiffening of Mm -hmm. the body. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. So liver mortis is more something that's happening with the skin. Yes. Changing. And then rigor mortis is when everything kind of hurts. Yeah. Wow. And it, what's funny? You something new? Yeah, I know. Isn't that wild? Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No. You were going to say something. 
I was just going to say about rigor mortis is that, like, your body, like, breaks that after a while. Like, it stiffens and then releases. Yeah, yeah, I just thought that was so crazy. So there's three phases, apparently. There's liver mortis, rigor mortis, and alger mortis. Mm. I did not know that. And alger mortis is, like, the last portion, okay. which is cold death. Cold death. Describes the post-mortem temperature change after someone day, uh, dies. So that's when you lose your warmth. Oh, okay. Because rigor mortis can set in, but you can still be warm. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. I did not know this either. We all learned wow. something today. All right. Thanks, Google. <laughs> she also had skin slippage and what is referred to as washerwoman syndrome on the oh, body wow. and around the ligatures and like her knees. So washerwoman syndrome is usually due to being in water. And this uh, skin slippage is caused by deterioration or early decomposition. A rectangular indentation was found on the body from a board that she was laying on top of. What the heck? Yeah. And blood drips were found on her thigh. Wow. Decapitation appears to have happened post-mortem or after death. Thought to have been done to conceal the victim's identity. And there was a fragment of little green paint found in the wound as well. Probably from, like, the weapon. Abnormal cut marks to the stump or portion that's left of the neck were found. And they found a white furry mold growing on her abdomen and part of her neck and right thigh. Is that typical for humans to get moldy after a certain point in time? No. That is very interesting. Yeah. I'm sure there's more. The look on your face yeah. tells me that I'll find out more later. Yeah. Okay. No, I thought it was super interesting, too. I was like, mold in there. And a mold. And white mold, too. I yeah. I feel like it's very specific. That's what I thought, too. I was like, what the fuck? Mm. Yeah. So they did send the mold off for testing. It took about four to five days to get the mold to grow. So because of this, it is believed that she was in the basement for at least four days. At this apartment that mm-hmm. they found her, okay? Yeah, it's an abandoned apartment, too. Okay. The mold report made the statement, please note that the isolation and growth that reported of the Sandium species is not a common fungus that we would isolate from humans or as a contaminant. It may well be that the source of this fungus may have come from the instrument used to decapitate the girl. It should be noted that this fungus has been reported isolated from meat and animal what? That means, like, was he using a butcher knife then? Probably. So, I was wondering about that, too, when you mentioned mold. Yeah. Like, I was thinking, like, well, I've seen a steak mold before. Yeah. And I'm not saying humans are identical, but yeah. we're probably more like cows than a lot of other, like, mm-hmm. we're more like a cow than a chicken. Totally. Or even a pig, you know. Well, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> but I was like, well, they, I've seen them the meat grow mold and packaging. Yeah. Can we grow mold too? I would think eventually. Yeah. But, but I don't know if it's that they kind act of like the they white said, mold is specific. That's what they said. It's isolated so from humans. So it's it cannot it has to do something with their composition uh-huh. and their makeup or even preservatives used. Yeah. It's weird, to right? To preserve like pork chops and steaks and that kind yeah. of thing. Anyways, that's a weird thing for me to, like, latch on to. It was so weird to me, too. I was just like, what? It just caught my attention. Yeah. 
I've never come across mold yet. I've on, not like, a heard case. that either. I've never heard of anyone talking about a human body having mold. Me either. On. Never. Because I always and feel we like both the body. Listen to so much true crime. What's that? We listen to so much true crime. I'm, yeah. Well, usually we know about decomposition and all the stuff that can happen in that sense. But I've yeah. never heard. Like, like I've there's heard a of lot of gross stuff that happens. And all yeah. that, but not mold. That's very unique. Yeah, yeah. the mold is weird to me. But yeah. They also found semen and a white pubic hair on her body. But, but this disgusting. white. I'm hoping that's more so blonde. Well, I don't know. It it's just gross. It's fucking. Does it mean they're old? They I don't know. Old. Probably. It's disgusting. It's fucking so disgusting. No, no matter which way you it's all gross. It, it's bad. It's all gross. But they did swab the body, and smears were taken for processing. There are a lot of reports on this case saying that the little Jane Doe had spina bifida occulta, and that is not true. It's actually not mentioned in the autopsy at all, but it is reported very widely. She had spinal bifida, but not true at all. Wow. Yeah. Why would yeah. I don't know. It's okay. it, odd. It's fucking odd. On March 1st, 1983, the day after the discovery of the Little Jane Doe, the St. Louis Post ran for the first time. It's described as being the worst child case in St. Louis history, and it didn't even make the front page. That's terrible. Didn't even make the front page. That seems like important news. I would think so. I would really think so. And a neighbor named Brenda Martin said that she didn't even know anything was wrong until the police showed up. Wow. Yeah. That's bad. She didn't notice any suspicious activity at the abandoned apartment near her? I guess not. And they said, too, I didn't write this down, but in the documentary they did say that members of the community said that the building had only been vacant for a few years but records indicated that the last known tenants were from 1978 so the neighbor brenda martin was probably living in a house nearby yes okay. okay so this means that there was like squatters basically living there you know so they were it was normal to have a the little bit of activity concept of abandoned buildings to me is We've talked about that before. Yeah. I won't get on that tangent. Yeah. But to have a building completely fenced off and then you have people sleeping on the street. Like, you're not doing anything with the building. Yep. I'm not and saying, then you find, like... And then this kind of stuff happens, you know what I mean? Because yeah. you're not, like, actually, like, monitoring it or anything. Yeah, either t- tear it down. Or let other people use it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. I mean, yeah. I understand the whole thing about not monitoring it. They put a sign up that says, enter at your own risk or live here at your own risk. Yeah. Like, you're not a landlord. You're not going to fix anything. I understand Can't sue that. nobody. Yeah. It's but your own risk. to just have it sitting there empty. You're and also to be taking people to jail for, like, going inside of them if they do Because they're trying to find shelter. Yeah. But yeah. So there were squatters in the building for a long time. So it looks like, like, 10 years or whatever. So it seems like there it was used to having some people come in and out of there or whatever. At the time, the local police searched the area and sewers for the girl's missing head and any possible witnesses and for the murder weapon, but came up with very little. Both Mr. Thompson and Mr. Harris, who were the boys that found the body, were questioned thoroughly and provided DNA samples several times over the years with no connections into the case. 
That seems pretty brutal for. Oh yeah, boys. they were so they were babies, I think too. Yeah, I can't imagine how traumatizing it had to be. Oh my god, I couldn't even imagine. As detectives processed to investigate the case, they checked with local schools and inquired if any children had been reported missing. They had not. I also want to note that there was a lot, and I mean a lot, of local schools in this area. Like, the documentary that I was watching, they interview one of the neighbors, and he lists probably about 50, just right off the top of his head, that were, like, walking distance from where this apartment was. Like, tons of schools. And they checked into all of them. Well, that makes me happy to hear that they did check. We checked into every single one of them and on every little girl so that they could rule them out as the victim. That makes you wonder then if she was brought from another place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. At the time, a lot of the school secretaries had been laid off, actually, and replaced with computers. (laughs) But, like, I guess... 1983! (laughs) Yeah, I guess they didn't realize that computers had to be, like, run by someone. (laughs) So a lot of these things were just not being kept track of. And I'm taking over the school. I run the school now. No secretaries here. I'm a computer. And computers and and monitors back then weighed like thousands of pounds. Someone will have to push me around on a cart. (laughs) Take me to the children so I can yell at them. This is ridiculous. It's awful. So, like, they do just not a lot of secretaries at a lot of these schools. So a lot of these kids were not being kept track of. Okay, think about how crazy that had to be. 20 years prior, in 1963, women were going to school to be secretaries. Like, that was, like, a kind of progressive job to have as a young woman. And then 20 (laughs) years later, like, squirrel, we don't need them. We don't need them. And they're like, damn, I need someone to run this this computer. Do you know how to run this? I don't know, Jerry. How do we run it? Get the secretaries back here. All right, come back. Come back, toots. For two dollars an hour. Oh my god. <laughs> you Fucking know gross. That would be. I know. Right, <laughs> they took it because pioneers Pioneer. for us, honestly. So glad we. Makes me feel bad when I complain about anything. Cause I'm like, they went through so much so that I could yeah. have what I have now. Thanks for being the real OGs, ladies. Yes. So yeah. <laughs> Didn't realize they needed the secretary still. And a lot of the kids were not getting kept track of normally, so it made it really difficult to track down, but they Imagine still did it. A computer can't run the school. Huh. <laughs> but the principal didn't replace himself with, smart the, school. with the computer, right? <laughs> we all know on Disney Channel that didn't end well. It doesn't, it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't. Y'all Let me need just to tell keep you. watching more early 2000s. <laughs> straight-to-television Disney movies, fam. Okay? Get on it. Get on our level. Come on now. Hidden messages in those low-budget films. <laughs> I'm still stuck on the computer. I know. It's it's, it's just... mind-blowing. I don't know. It's really... You're fired. We got a computer to take over your job. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, these cops did their job and they fucking did the damn thing. The detectives had accounted for every eight to eleven year old female enrolled they enrolled did, in St. Louis city right? schools in neighboring districts. That yes. makes me feel good. Yes. In nineteen eighty three. Yeah. Right? They fucking did it. That's There's good. some 
let me tell you what it is. There are some really good dads and moms yeah. that worked for that police department. Yeah. And they were like, no, this was my kid. This is what I would want done. That's what. That's all we're asking. Yeah. Think just about do, it. Just have some empathy. Just think, okay, if this was my kid, how would I want this yeah. handled? Yeah. My like, family, my niece. How much better the world would be I if know. we all just thought that way. I know. And um, these detectives, too, later on you'll find out that they were the ones at the funeral. They were the ones doing all the things. You know, they really just, they really did it. I appreciate that. And in the documentary, one of the detectives mentioned a different detective that had passed. And I guess on his deathbed, he was talking to his son. And he's like, I'm going to find her name. Like, I'm going to discover who she is. Because this is going to be my last thing that I ever do in my life. Is I'm going to discover who she was. Wow. Yeah. And that's okay. And he never did. But, like, that was on his mind even to his last, like, fucking breath. Like, he wanted to discover who she was. Okay, the, that man. Don't know his name. But yeah. Yeah, I watched the documentary. One. You okay. can find he's it in there. One. He's the OG. Like, they just really. Um, but there was an informant that was interviewed. And he told them where they could find the victim's head. He said it could be located in Waterloo, Illinois. And could find her head hanging in a tree. But this was later to be determined to be lying. Okay, why would anyone want to lie about that? Just to get $600 in reward money. What about all Broke. Yeah. Investigators sent letters to all 50 states about the little Jane Doe, describing the case and what they had, you know, all the information that they had on it, but they had no hits. And this is like the same with the little boy in the box. Like, no parents? Yeah. You're freaking telling me there's no roots? No grandparents. Like, somebody in this kid's life had to have cared about them. Someone. Like, just give me one person. And that's why I also think that she was decapitated, because I think she would have been figured out too quick. You know what I mean? They knew that. It's terrible. It's disgusting. May of 1983, a letter arrived at the police department naming a local man as a killer, but they were never able to locate him. And on Valentine's Day of 1986... A second letter arrived that appeared to have information on the case and was part postmarked from St. Louis. Nothing came from that either. With no reliable leads and becoming extremely desperate, investigators began working with a psychic, hoping that the unusual collaboration would lead to some clues. That is always fascinating to uh-huh. me when they work with a psychic, just because our society is very much about everything has to be down to a science. Yeah. And everything, like, they don't typically go into any spiritual realm. Right. But they seem to make an exception with psychics. Yeah, it's interesting. No, no hate against psychics. No, never. some, like, that are not legit. Definitely, like, misinformation can get spread pretty easily. Yeah. It was interesting because the older man that they interviewed, that's a detective on this case, when he was asked about the psychic, he was like, I knew it was kind of a far jump, but he was like, I just didn't have anything and I just wanted to keep an open mind about anything. And I, I was like, I just always Aw. feel like they're more willing with the psychic, so like... Than anything could, else? Yeah, like you could go have somebody read cards to you or yeah. you could even have like, you could trip on mushrooms, maybe get yeah. a vision. You yeah. could go talk to Peyote, a, some peyote trip. You could go on TV and talk to a TV preacher. And they did, too. They did talk to a couple, um, not preachers, but, like, (laughs) TV shows. And they were, like, trying everything in this case. Oh, my God, I'm dead. 
So they did try out this psychic, and it was during this time that this psychic named Noreen Rayner, she reached out to the police department saying that she could help, but she needed some items uh, that were the victims, and she needed to touch them in particular to, like, get into contact with them. So, the two pieces of main evidence they had for this case, they sent in the mail to the psychic, out of state. This was the sweater and the oh robe. God. She okay. sent the items back and provided receipts for the returned items. Because a lot of people have accused her of losing the items or just keeping them for herself and never sending them back. I appreciate that she was a decent human being and sent them back, but that was a little naive if you're in the police force. She couldn't come in, like, buy her a ticket. We'll pick her up. One of the people were like, why didn't you just send a piece of it? <laughs> but yeah, like a lot of people did accuse her of like stealing these items basically, but she did not. She insists she sent them back. And in the documentary, when they asked Sergeant McGlennon, I think mm-hmm. is his name, about it, he said something funny. He said, somewhere in between receiving the evidence and moving from the police office on 1200 Clark Avenue to another building... The items were unfortunately lost by police, along with all these swabs and evidence okay, that they had so collected Okay, so I was really the proud of them until they got to this point. Yeah. And they, yeah, he said that the, the dude and that signed him. for it still worked on the police force, so we didn't want to, like, name him. I didn't want to embarrass him. It's like, ooh, that's a bad, that's a bad misstep. That's names a big one. Names. Yeah. We want names. That's a big misstep. We want names. Uh, unfortunately this case went cold and every year on the anniversary they put an all points bulletin on the case in hopes to get some information we still don't know where this sweet little baby was Aww. no and in 1990 joe bergen went on to the oprah show to discuss the case to see if he can get any traction and they also did try and like connect this to the adam walsh case like he was, um, he was kidnapped in a grocery store, and his dad, you know, his dad is the um, missing children's guy. He does all that on TV. Oh, yeah. um, okay. I can't remember his first name, but Walsh. Yeah. His Those son was kidnapped in the in yeah. a store, and they never found his body, but they found his head. So they were trying to maybe like connect this to the case, but I don't think they it found anything. Similar. Yeah. Yeah. Never found anything to like really connect it. How are there not parents coming forward, though? That's what I don't get. That's what, like, hurts me with this. That's what's, like, bothered me this whole case. And, like, the boy in the box case is, like, no fucking parents. Not a grandparent that's raising them, a sibling. And that's what always happens is, like, just fucking disgusting. They just try and hide these little lives like they don't fucking matter. It's just horrible. A public memorial service was held on Sunday. A few weeks after she had been found, 60 residents from around the area attended the service at New Mount Gideon West Baptist Church. Captain Adkins believed her parents would come forward, so her burial was delayed for nine months. Oh. Her body was prepared at Woodson Funeral Home, December 7th, 1983, at 11.30 a.m. on a cold rainy day. Ed Sedge was a photographer for the Global Democrat newspaper and was the man who photographed the burial of the little girl. He headed to Washington Cemetery for the ceremony. He said he had an idea in his head about what a funeral would be like. 
friends, family, and loved ones gathered around. But this was nothing like that. When he arrived, he described the men who were carrying away a small white casket with fake pink and white yellow flowers that were donated. Captain Leroy, Jesse Woodson, the funeral director, Baxter Leisure, the medical examiner, and Joe Bergen were the pallbearers and the only attendees. There were four empty chairs set out in front of the casket, set out for loved one of the little girl. The entire ceremony only lasted about five minutes. Um, a woman named Mary Schaefer saw the ceremony on the news and wanted to no donate a grave marker for the little girl. Her and her husband Charles had one made and left room for the name, just in case the identity was ever discovered. The saddened hearts were healed in knowing the pain of the life is over and the beauty of the soul is revealed. And that's what was written on this headstone. However, Washington Park Cemetery said it could not be done because the medical examiner would say it, would, it was inappropriate to have a headstone. Why would the medical examiner say If you're going to be so bad <laughs> coming up, are you ready for all of this bullshit? <laughs> Why would the medical examiner Just, be mad? No medical examiner would say that. They would everybody, be like, everyone deserves it. Strap in your titties and pull up your panties because this everyone is about to get bullshit. a burial with dignity. Yeah. Everyone. Oh, yeah. Meaning that if it's your choice, if you want to be cremated, you're cremated. But if you didn't get a choice in the matter, then they got to make the next best decision. And you deserve a headstone, name it. or not. I agree. This is going to piss you off. If, if that pisses you off, off you're going to get motherfucking mad. pissed off. So I'm already mad. Get ready. They said it would be inappropriate to have the headstone. February 1st, 1984, an English class wrote a letter to the medical examiner asking him to explain the reason why the grave marker wasn't permitted. Because he sucks. And he basically said that. He never said that. And they can go ahead and put the monument on the grave marker on February 2nd, 1984. He made the go-ahead. May 10th, 1984, the headstone was removed and never put back in the original spot. Many years later, in 2009, investigators attempted to reopen the case. The Smithsonian was to help, and together they decided to exhume little Jane Doe's body to obtain a better DNA sample and to perform isotope testing. However, it was soon realized it was going to be more difficult than they expected. The owner of the cemetery had died by suicide in 1996 at the time she was being sued okay. by the state attorney's office for mismanagement, neglect, and inaccurate burial records. Are you kidding me? No. In the documentary, they are saying that the cemetery she was buried in was doing some sketchy-ass shit, dude. Bodies were missing from graves. Some were buried on top of each other. Bones were found discarded above the ground with trash and debris. And apparently, they were stacking motherfucking bodies. So there are cemeteries that will stack them per your request. Like this was not that. These they were just. This doing was. It. This was not. I like want to save a time that had like no. a burial plot that they shared, and one died. These were either like four people or like. Unrecognized people or like unclaimed Acting bodies. Like they're not mattering. They were saving spots by stacking them. There's no headstone, so it looks like there's a spot available. Girl. That's gross. Yeah, and because of all this, they were unable to locate her body. After locating the grave and excavating it, 
and they found three different bodies crowded together in the How grave you, oh. that she was supposed to be in. None of them How were her. How do we her. know that she was even actually buried there? It's not fucked. How do we know that was her in the casket? So this headstone had been like completely placed on the wrong grave, mm -hmm. and they assume what happened is that they just didn't want to allow the donors to put the gravestone where they had buried someone else's loved one. So did not cause anger or confusion. They didn't want them to put that on there, and they just kind of put it in the area. They can't interview the owner because she did. Yup. Dr. Michael Graham, one of the St. Louis examiners, he declined to authorize another dig unless the exact location of the body could be determined. Why do you determine that? Yeah. This is actually pretty cool. This coming up is pretty cool. So, little Jane Doe's body was presumed to be lost until a group of research students from a nearby university took interest in the case and attempted to locate her body using 2D calibration. They must have determined when people oh, get yes. stuck bus. Miss Abby Sanalu, Stanalu was the motherfucking badass bitch. She was a researcher scientist at Washington State University All right, girl. and had heard about this case from her uncle. He asked her to look into it and she decided with the help of a team to locate the body via 2D calibration. She took one of the photos from the burial to figure out if she could find where the camera was placed. She could help find where the gravesite was also located. Wow. She took the photo and started to build a map of where she thought the body would be located by matching up the objects in the photo to where the actual site was. They took the picture and set to find if any of the things in the background were still located there today. But triangulating the location and verifying what they have in the background of the picture what they can still compare to it today to solve where the camera was located. In 2013, the area was mostly forest, and a lot of the things were moved, such as the gravestones located in the picture and the billboard in okay, the background. I just gotta give props to this girl. Oh, what a baddie. Girl. She like, did the damn motherfucking thing. She did it. She did, did it. Genius. Yeah, she's really an amazing person. I wish you knew your name, young lady. Abby. Oh, was Abby? Abby, okay. yep. Abby. You're amazing. Yup. Thank you for doing the thing. So she found a billboard in the background, but at some point this billboard had been cut down and moved 10 feet away. So that's like a big jump when you're trying to like figure out an exact location of a body. They were still able to present the examiner with an estimate of where they thought she was located. It was about a five foot region. Okay. So pretty small area okay. that they narrowed it down to. But still a lot. Still a lot, time. but pretty crazy that she could do that. Yeah. And on June 17th, 2013, a storm was coming in and volunteers did not have a lot of time to dig. They were hoping to locate the body before any type of water could touch it so that they could get an accurate isotope sample. They started to dig and three feet down, they did find a casket, but it had adult remains inside. What? Yup, girl. Oh my God. They were concerned, frustrated, and believing the estimate was accurate, Abby insisted they dig below that and cast it. Digging further, they found a small white casket. She was found within eight inches of where they predicted she oh would be. Oh my gosh. Eight fucking inches. Can that's, you believe that's that? That's pretty good probabilities right there. It's like, amazing. Like, come on. 
It's wow. like, um, it's amazing. They took her down to the morgue and they were able to take additional samples. Samples were extracted and sent to several institutions, including the Smithsonian and the University of North Texas. DNA testing confirmed the identity with the samples that were taken at the original autopsy to confirm it was the correct body. Wow. Mineral test, which is a stable isotope analyst from the Smithsonian, concluded that Jane Doe was not originally from St. Louis, but possibly spent time or most of her childhood in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, or Wisconsin. While the test from North Texas concluded that she was from Louisiana, Texas, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, or Florida. How can so. they tell those specifically? And some of these, okay, so Ohio, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, and Wisconsin are all Midwest, uh-huh. so that makes sense. But West Virginia? And then, but it's then the very, other set of ones make sense because it's they're all, all like the South. Yeah, they're all like kind of close. And how did you determine was, that? Like, it was like from the isotope taken from the bones but from what i was seeing it seemed like like, climate you lived in by this or it was the type of water that you drink in your bones yeah but they were saying that this could be faulty because of the way that they maybe clean their equipment and it could be coming from (gasps) different water from the way they were they were cleaning their equipment so that might be why they're barren this is amazing so, that they could tell. It's all wild, Even isn't it? Close. All of it. this. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Oh, I forgot Pennsylvania was added yeah. here, too. That's mm-hmm. not really Midwest, but. Yeah. So, after they take all these samples, the girl's body was prepared for reburial at Michael's Funeral Home, owned by Calvin Whittaker. On February 8th, 2014, at 10 a.m., she was buried in a pink and white checkered dress, and he gave her a brand new casket with angels on each corner, so she'd never be alone again. Yeah. Peter Gunis, a Catholic deacon presided over the reburial at Calvin Cemetery in the Garden of Innocence. Rebecca Nero McCleavely is the president and CEO of the Garden of Innocence. She gives each child a name at their service. And she decided... I know, she's the best. She decided to give the St. Louis Little Jane Doe a name, Precious Hope. They wanted to rebury her in a place that she wouldn't be lost. Many people were in attendance and made sure that she had a proper service that lasted over an hour. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And in the documentary, they have video of it. And I would be they were singing and just, you know, they really did Making give her an actual service, service which was and not saying that the, the original guys didn't try their best, but it was only four of them there. Well, they were you like know? people investigating. What, what could they do? You know what I mean? I'm and sure. those guys were... And I'm sure yeah. while investigating their whole case, they mourned it the entire time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I can't imagine that anyone can go through that without having a grieving process for mm-hmm. themselves. No, you I know. couldn't imagine. They tried to, su- to submit DNA to Parabon Labs to see if they could come up with anything. Parabon Lab is a lab that uses DNA phenotyping to predict physical appearance and ancestry. <gasps> ancestors known of individuals to produce a composite sketch. The St. Louis Police Department has been working with Parabon for several years. 
They have ruled out a bunch of people, but are looking for family members. They have found some family, but not close enough to know who Hope was. C.C. Morris, the chief genetic genealogist for Parabon Labs, and has been working to find a family tree for Hope. She has been working on the case for years and has been able to identify many victims over the years. So places like Ancestry.com and DNA and Me have tons of people who have taken DNA kits. But CC explains that companies like this give an option to the individuals to share the results and post them or keep them private. People think that law enforcement can just take and compare any DNAs from these websites, but without the user choosing for them to do so, they cannot take any of that they information. Cannot. She said that she was sure that she would be able to identify her if she was allowed to access all of the DNA on these websites. But she is only allowed to use uh, GED Match and Family Tree, which are two of the smallest databases for DNA. And she can only use public records to do this. The process works in a way that she could find distant cousins. With this, she found two promising matches at the top of the list. She thought she was going to solve the case in a week. But the two matches she found were both almost 100 years old when she found them. She said this made it very difficult to build a family tree because this is a black family. And oftentimes they run into trouble connecting family trees past 1870. Because this is the first time they were recorded or named in the federal census. Because they weren't treated as people. Yes. Until then. So you run into a wall at a certain point. And the second matches father was born in 1865 and grandfather was born in 1800. She has to build these trees back to where she can find a common ancestor and then build it forward to a distant to cousin. ancestors that were yes. treated as if they weren't people, therefore there's no records of them. Exactly. So it if is, she can't build back, she can't build forward either. That's so sad. So it makes it so hard in this case. She reached out to the family of the matches because she, um, the one that matched originally at the time had passed. The daughter told her never to contact her again and immediately pulled the DNA from the database. Suspicious. Very weird. And the top match was promising, but the daughter of that match said she would help and then completely ghosted her and never heard from her again. Suspicious. Yes. But other than that, there is no other information found on this case. No. And it makes me very sad, just like the boy in the box case. This child deserved to live and grow and have life. a family and hopefully a family that like never stopped looking for her they but like life. it's hard to believe since like they never found any like missing persons report or anything that there was ever anything filed you know yeah just awful. horrific and awful and makes me so fucking sad i just i don't know it's awful you have any thoughts final thoughts on this so case? i don't know the attack to me after some doing some true crime digging in the past and just kind of learning people's patterns. Obviously, yeah. not a detective, but me over here, rookie, seems personal. To I me. agree. It's so vicious. And then the family, or the what could be family's response, very odd. I know. Very, very odd. I know. And I, I get some of that, like, sometimes just, like, don't want to get involved. Just, like, too much. <gasps> But in the other can, it's like, fuck. 
fuck, this is like an 8 to an 11 year old child who has literally matter, never been. Like, justice for people deserve justice. Yeah. Like, no matter what. Absolutely. The, just, the Dutch in me is, there must be justice and fairness. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's I don't. I don't understand it. I don't get it either. I just, I don't think I ever will. And I don't think we ever will. never found her head. Never found her head. I don't, like, I don't get it. The person who did this is still alive. You suck. He did too. Yeah. Joe Bennett did. Yeah. Died of it too. It's better. Joking. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I was in, enveloped in this fucking case because. And we don't even have a like, real name to call it. I appreciate, I like Precious Hope better Precious than. Precious Hope is beautiful. Than Jane Doe. Because yeah. she deserves her own individual name. She does. And God bless the angel that gave her. Own yeah, and the angel's on the casket, so she'd never be alone again. Oh. I was just like, what the fuck, dude? Like, oh, that's the sweetest yeah. thing ever. And, and they gave her a little dress and everything, and like reburied her with her dignity. And that's just like so. It's so important. What law enforcement did. Yeah. I, I, there were some things that were a little weird, but I have to remember the yeah. time. They did yeah. try their best. They did. I appreciate all the lengths they went through to yeah. try to relocate. Yeah, and the guy that did that documentary, like, oh, I'm telling you, you guys team. really gotta fucking go watch that documentary because it's outstanding. He needs They're to support, too. Yeah. We need to get more awareness on this case. This man's, too, like, I'm telling you, when you watch it, he literally didn't want his, he didn't want it to be a documentary reflecting him at all. So he was, like, barely in the film at all. And when he's asking questions to the detectives and stuff, it, it literally pops up as, like, text on the screen. So you don't hear his voice, you don't see him, pops up as a text, and then the answer from the detective. So he's like, doesn't want the recognition. He just like, wants the case solved, and he just feels very passionately about it. And I feel like that's admirable, you know. That really is. Remind us again, before we close, what's the name of the documentary on yes, YouTube? The documentary is called Our Precious Hope, St. Louis Jane Doe Revisited. A little bit of a long title, but it is a good one. It is about it. two hours. Yeah. Again, it does have some pictures in there, so be ready for that. Do you guys have any final thoughts on this case other than what we just like discussed? Just pulled it up, yeah. and I love that the production company uh -huh. for this was called Actin' a Fool Productions. Found the full movie for free on YouTube, guys. Yeah, go watch it. It's got a lot of information. I tried to pack as much in here, but of course, they definitely go more into details with a lot of stuff, and um, it really is worth the watch. Give them some love and support. And yeah, I just hope that we can uh, figure this out eventually. And just with all of the cases that we go through, I hope that this uh, this one in particular gets solved. So, Thank yeah. you for this, and of course. this was fun just Just us. the two of us. We can make it just the two of us. Okay. Like the yeah. real side of us on here and it's just us. Ooh. I just want all the fans out there to know I'm wrapped up in a burrito blanket right now. I literally have a, it looks tortilla. like a tortilla. It's a tortilla. Yeah. I love it. It's a bee burrito. Look at the little brown spots. On I love it. It's perfect. Do I look like a fresh tortilla? You look like a Fresh ass tortilla order. <laughs> a fresh ass fluffy ass tortilla order. Mm. Who doesn't love a fresh homemade tortilla? Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm hungry. Yeah.
All right. Yeah, Taco Bell is calling our name and another dab. So until <laughs> next time, please say hi. Be safe. And thank Thanks you for, for listening. Bye. Bye.